0: Welcome to the weekend message from Mariners Church Mission Viejo campus. Whether you're listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. What? Uh, those are great prayers, great truth that we got to sing. And John, uh, it was a year ago. I was here. you're looking at me going, uh, "Where's the bald guy in the shorts with the?" Flip-flops, and who's this guy with hair and jeans on, kind of skinny and lanky up there? Uh, My name's Kyle. I'm the worship pastor at Mariners. I got to launch this campus uh, a year ago, and it's amazing to see what God has done. John, John and I, we used to sing southern gospel music of all things together back when he was like in high school. So have him sing some stuff for you every now and then. The the cool guy with the faux hawk and the awesome voice rocking the guitar, yeah, he wasn't always that guy. I mean, let me just tell you, he's got suits and ties that match me. So, we can put those on one of these days. Um, But I'm glad to be here. You got to know every single Tuesday we gather as a staff at Mariners Church and we tell stories about what God is doing in the community. And so, your staff here is constantly bringing stories and saying, you got to hear what's happening at Mission Viejo in the lives of our people. And in our church and in this community. And we wholeheartedly believe that you guys are changing and shaping South County, and it's awesome. So I'm honored. Mike's like, you gotta come see what's happening. You gotta come be with our people and teach them. So really, it's a privilege for me to be here with you guys today. Um, So thank you, even though you didn't choose it, thank you for just going, okay, I'll go with this. Um, Christmas. Christmas, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Yeah, a little more momentum for the, we're on the other side of Christmas at this point. Is there anybody who has completely taken down Christmas out of your house yet? You're done? Wow, you got high achievers right there. That's awesome. Uh, how many of you right, um, gave the perfect gift? Not got, but gave the perfect gift this year. Like you love not a few of us. How many of you like had the perfect meal at Christmas time? You're like yeah, like afternoon nap. Right, we're good eaters. We're not good gift givers. But we're good eaters, which is awesome. Um, very. Fun. How many of you are going shopping after the service? Like, I'm out. Yeah, right. Great. Men, take notice. All the husbands, spouses, boyfriends of those people. We're going shopping. Uh, but uh, how many of you spend time with friends, family? Right. Look at that. Staggering, right? But at the same time, obvious. Like Christmas is just this season where it brings everybody together, for better or for worse. Some of us have these crazy aunts and uncles and grandparents who come and pinch your cheeks. Oh, you're so cute. Who's got one of those? Yeah. I'm like, I'm 40. Like I'm not 14 anymore. You don't need to come and squeeze my cheeks. It's okay. Uh, But Christmas has always been this time where people come together. And we're going to unpack some of God's word today and see that actually that's super intentional. That's exactly what happened at the birth of Christ and in the life of Christ. That's what God wants from each one of us today from his church as a body of believers. And so Christmas is the season where everybody's probably a little bit nicer and everybody kind of rallies around something, you know. And other than parking spots, we tend to be a little more gracious to each other. And we get to be Christmas people and we get to engage the season Uh, And have this invitation all year long. We get to keep alive this quality. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians. So if you've got your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 16 through 21. Before we do that, let me give you a little context about leading up to this. Paul wrote this letter uh, to the church in Corinth. And before this, the first five chapters, he's talking about uh, his ministry. He's talking about, obviously, the freedom and forgiveness found in Christ. Right before this, he's talking about... um, He's using the example of jars of clay, that we are these fragile, broken human beings, which we can totally comprehend and understand, that have been filled with the beauty and the light and the truth and the hope of God's word. And so then he launches into this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. So now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A lot of reconciling happening in this passage clearly and that's what we're going to unpack. But before we get there, we have to look at where this starts. And it starts with how you regard or how you view Christ You can see in verse 16, it says, Once we regarded Christ from a worldly point of view. And I know through the month of December, we've been looking at that as a church. How did the world view Jesus? How did the world view Christ, even at his birth? And I know you spent some time even looking at him as a mamzer. Um, Our word for that is a bastard child of unwed pregnant teenagers that weren't married. They didn't get hospitals. They weren't able to stay with their family. They had to stay with animals. And then he grew up, right, and they couldn't even address him for who he was. They're like, you don't even have a dad, right? You're that kid, that carpenter's son. And then he gets older and he becomes this total rebel. He basically undermines all the religious and cultural systems of the day. So he goes from this mamzer, this bastard child, to this total rebel. And if you looked at Jesus from a worldly point of view, you would think he's crazy. He is nuts. Like, what's the deal? But it's beautiful because something changes and they say, but we no longer see him that way. Why is that? The resurrection, right? Everything changed. All of a sudden it was like, oh, you are the Messiah. You are who you say you are. All of these things are true. And I want to invite you guys, as we start heading towards Easter, we're going to be going through the book of Matthew, right? And in the series called One. And we're going to look at the life of Jesus and how and why all these things changed leading up to Easter. But the question is, How do you regard Christ? How do you view Jesus? That's the beginning point today for every single one of us. And for some of us, we choose to affirm Christ. We choose to affirm the story that he is the Savior. He's the Son of God. He's my Redeemer. He's the one who's reconciled me. And if this is true, the next verse tells us that we're a new creation. And the beautiful thing here is it's not new like... um, like fresh or or different or like the latest version of. You know, uh, it's not a remodel. It's not like God shuffles some furniture in your house. Okay, so I have this wonderfully overachieving wife. Hi, honey, who's here today. And she decided that between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we needed to totally rearrange the house. Right. So all the Christmas decorations and trees, you know, and so we're going to take two rooms and basically swap these entire rooms. Now, we have three kids, eight, six, and five. And so you can imagine the toys the books just everywhere and we're going to go through this in this season and I I love you dearly and it was amazing but what happens is once that got completed I'm like oh this isn't bad like it was a ton of work don't get me wrong but we sit down and I'm like this feels like a new house like this is awesome like we didn't even have to move we've lived here six years our house was built in like 1970 but all of a sudden it feels great so you're a genius see it feels so much better That is not what God does to our life. He doesn't rearrange some furniture and go, oh, that's a lot better. Like, let me just kind of dust you off and shine you up. There's two words for new in the Greek. One of them is neos, which talks about time, or the most recent model. So you think of a new car, you think of the new fashion, you think of new cameras. It's just the latest version of something. That is not the word that's used here. The word is kainos, which means quality, It means something that never existed before, something unique and spectacular and different has been brought into existence, a new creation. So for those of us that affirm Christ, there is a newness, a freshness, a uniqueness that never existed. It's not a fresh coat of paint on our old broken down life. It is new. And this is a radical transformation that sets the stage for all of this reconciliation So let me read through verses 18 and 19 again. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now I know there's lots of reconciled, reconciliations, reconciling, and clearly this is important. Right, Because you get that word four times in two verses. What he's saying is reconciliation clearly, first of all, is God's work. It is God's work in Jesus. It is something that is given and extended. It is never earned. It cannot be earned. It's God, the actual offended party who extends reconciliation. So we don't even have to initiate and go back. He's already done that work. It begins with him. And, you know, we see all the other words about debt and ransom and justification. These are all relational words in the way that they're used biblically. It's not like God took Jesus and, and bailed us out. You know, he didn't pay bail. Like, he actually paid the debt. And the word reconcile itself implies brokenness, right? We've been walking through that. We know that we are broken. We feel that. We see that. We know that. And this word implies a brokenness because it talks about bringing back to its original place. It talks about bringing back to its original relationship and its original state. And we know what that is too, because we see it in Genesis. God, the creator of everything, just like we were singing about this morning, before time began, creates everything, including man. But the beautiful thing is he creates us in his own image. We bear God's image in a unique way. And all we were created to do is live in loving relationship with God and with each other and to care for everything. But in that, we know what happens, right? We sin. We chase our pride. We chase our selfishness. We become broken and weak and fragile. We see our humanity. We don't trust. And it began this chain of decay and corruption. And we see it in our life. And so reconciliation is about a bringing back and a restoring to its original state, to its original design. Jesus is the fulfillment and the culmination of God's plan and design of love to rescue his kids, his image bearers, back to himself. Reconciliation is a massive work and a beautiful thing that can only be received. Jesus is about restoring disrupted relationships back into harmony with God, and with each other. I want to show you the magnitude of what Paul was writing about in this. If you want to, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at seven verses from 11 to 18. And this is talking about the relationship between the Gentiles and the Jews in that day. Let me read these first two verses. Ephesians two eleven. Therefore, Remember that formerly you who are called Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, Jews, that done in the body by hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God. You've been, so basically he's just saying, remember Gentiles, which you are far from God, you are not included, you have no hope. All of those things. And you've got to understand, the relationship from, between the Jews and the Gentiles at this time, it's not like they were subtle differences. Like, they hated each other. The Jews used to view the Gentiles as the people that stoked, literally put fuel on the fires of hell. So they're just hanging out with Satan, pouring gas on the barbecue with him. If a Jew helped bring another, uh, if a Jew married a Gentile, fell in love, oh, this is my soulmate, I can't. They would hold a funeral for the Jew and see them as dead. It was unlawful to help a Gentile in childbirth because you would be bringing another Gentile into the world. If you traveled through Gentile land as a Jew, you would have to stop at the border and shake the dust off all of your clothes and shoes and everything and leave it. They despised these people. They hated them. And it was reciprocal. The Gentiles hated the Jews too. There's stories of King Xerxes, one of their kings. He tried to create an ordinance um, to exterminate all the Jews. There were seasons where Jews couldn't read their scriptures. They couldn't circumcise. They they couldn't do their cultural uh, traditions. And in Paul's day there was even a time when they were all banished from the city of Rome. Like they despise each other. They're not just different in the way they dress. They don't I mean it's not like USC and UCLA here. Right? It's it's not that. I mean this is like they hate each other. They're completely different cultures. Jews had one God. Gentiles had hundreds of gods. That was just one that they served. But look what happens. Look what Paul describes. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two into one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His sole purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. This is amazing. Okay, He's talking about the dividing wall of hostility. The temple, if you go to Jerusalem, the temple courts were high on this mountain. And that's where the Jews and the priests and even the women, everybody worshipped up there. But there were five steps down and then there was a wall. And then there was another 14 steps down and another wall. And that's where the courts for everybody else, the Gentiles, that's where they worshipped. And so you can see this dividing line. There were signs up that told them, if you trespass, you will literally be put to death on the spot. A wall of hostility separating people. And they thought it separated them from God. And Jesus, he's saying, you you abolished the barriers, the walls of hostility. Literally, literal walls and figuratively. The barriers between people. Jesus destroys barriers. He made one new humanity out of two very distinct groups of people. The best way to bring people together is through someone that they both love. And we see that played out in our life today, even. If there's people that are far from each other and they want nothing to do with one another, if you find the person that they're both willing to love and to listen and to get them together, that's what Jesus is demonstrating here in the most powerful way. He brought peace with himself between both these groups, but not just peace with himself. He brought peace and a unity that had never existed before. Reconciliation is radical, It is a revolutionary concept. It's not a handshake and a smile. It's walking with somebody and it's a massive work of sacrifice and of love and of grace. And that's what Paul is describing. So go back to 2 Corinthians with me then. Why is this so revolutionary? What do we see? Well, clearly the most important identity, the most important question we have to wrestle with is Jesus being reconciled and found in Christ. And that becomes the starting place for all of these things, right? But the difficulty is, is we live in cultures and we live in systems where it becomes very easy to start adapting to those. And it wasn't... Roman culture was the same thing. You know, you, you had slaves versus free people. And you had people that had certificates and those that didn't. And, you know, the men and the women. And all of these people would dress a certain way and they had certain incomes and they had certain amounts of slaves and they had certain amounts of land and all those kind of things. And it sounds very much like our culture today and like every single one that's ever existed, right? I mean, it's super easy to look around. We could separate this whole room super easy. If I just started asking questions about, if you make more than this or less than this, raise your hand. Male or female, raise your hand. Republicans, Democrats, independents, green parties, raise your hand. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden you start to see these separations. But it gets, you know, even more subtle and even more dangerous in terms of what we do. You could separate by race. You could separate illegal, legal, legal. You could separate gay, straight. It becomes this subtle cultural system where we start to compare and contrast and create all these barriers and boundaries. Jesus comes and abolishes all those and said the most important critical thing is are you reconciled to me? Because that unifies everybody. It destroys the barriers and the walls of hostility and it creates one new body in and through me. And all of a sudden you get a room full of people, and the only explanation of why they're all together is in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of what we get to participate in, of what we're invited into, of what we get to acknowledge. For me, my my journey of reconciliation uh, with God and even understanding this whole thing is is an ongoing one. I I accepted Jesus when I was like five years old. And so as I grew up... um, I, I, I just view up, grew up viewing God as really authoritative, and pretty judgmental, and so when I became a teenager and in my early twenties, I hid. I hid from God. I hid from my parents. I hid from the church. And I, don't get me wrong; I'd still show up, but I was managing an image. And I would compartmentalize my life depending on which space I was in. So if I was with my family, I needed to be a certain way. If I was at church, I needed to be a certain way. If I was at school, I needed to be a certain way. If I was at work, I needed to be a certain way. And it was exhausting. And God just started to invite me into a way more honest life. And it was scary because the first thing he invited me to do was just acknowledge my brokenness. And say, where? Where are you weak? Where are you fragile? Where are you hiding? And why? And so I started to acknowledge those things from God, and it's super scary. Because you start to tell God, and you start to tell yourself, and you start to tell the people around you, oh, if only you knew. If only you knew the thoughts that I had. If only you knew the things that I did. If only you, ah, you couldn't love me. And God just stood there saying, I've reconciled you in Jesus Come out of hiding. Come on. And it's scary. But it, it has become so much more freeing to be able to stand and, and not revel or bask in my humanity, but at least acknowledge the truth that I'm just a broken human being. I'm just a, a jar of clay that is so fragile and weak. But God's redeemed and reconciled me and restored me back And he is reconciling and redeeming and restoring me back even today. That's the power of Jesus. That's the power of coming close and drawing near. And see, as as God's people, as the church, we have to be reconciliation on display. We're the ones, right, that get to show this to the world around us. We're reconciled to God for God. We're reconciled to him to become something new and unique and different. The flesh and blood of Jesus moving and acting and healing and speaking and extending love and grace and comfort and peace and forgiveness and kindness just like he did. We get to accurately portray as best we can the healing power and the freedom and the hope that's found in a relationship with Jesus. The problem is, many of us, including me, for so many years of my journey, think that the passage ends at being reconciled to Christ. And we miss reading on and the fact that we're ministers of reconciliation. He calls us Christ's ambassadors. That's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. And in scriptures, it's a big deal because belief was always tied to action. It was never separate. But we've separated it in our culture, and I separated it in my life, where I thought if I affirmed a set of of truths or just agreed with the Bible, that I'm reconciled, and that's good enough. And it's not. Because belief has to be tied to transformation and to the way we live our lives out. And that's what Paul's saying and inviting us into. Jesus always called people, and he sent people. He didn't just gather and say, great, let's go. He was always saying, great, I'm going to call you, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to heal you, and I'm going to send you to go and change the world. Ministers of reconciliation. If we affirm and agree with this, how do we, what changes? What changed for me? What can change for you? I think the key is all the way back at the beginning of this passage in verse 16. It says, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Some translations say we stopped evaluating others. Regard no one. Stop evaluating others. We have to change our perspective, not just of how we see God, but how we see other people and choosing to engage them in this process of reconciliation. Reconciliation to others, it's about being aware and involved in what's happening. It's about seeing people for who they are, for the way God sees them as his kids, as bearing his image that he loves. In my relationship with God, in my legalism, and in my compartmentalization, it created a system for me where I would evaluate others by the same way I was evaluating my own relationship with God. And so I would look at people, and, and I would, I, it creates this wonderful world of comparing, where I would compare, and I would contrast, and I would judge and so I'd see a homeless person, and my first response would be, I just went through three shops this morning with Help Wanted signs. Why can't they get a job? I know I can get you know, showers at truck stops, and why can't they just go clean up a little bit? That's my response. was my response. I would hear stories of my friends who were addicts, drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever it might be, and it'd be like, just say no. Right? We had the whole campaign. Who remembers that? Just say no. Just say no. That's my sensitivity to that. Even more subtly, people that walk through really difficult situations in their life, including divorce, and I would judge them. And I would say, How could you do that? And I mean, I'd say that to them, but I'd think it in my heart. The Bible says it's a covenant. You're in it forever. You can't do that. You're walking away from Jesus. You got to get right. And I would judge. And it would just push people away, obviously. Who wants to be around that guy? That's not who Jesus reconciled us to be. That's not being a minister of reconciliation and healing. Jesus' posture was always to get radically involved in the lives of the most desperate and destitute people he could come alongside. And it was never to judge or just to proclaim truth or to teach. It was to walk with. And as God started shaping my view of him, he started changing my view of the people around me. And all of a sudden, this new compassion started filling my life. And I've walked through some desperate circumstances with some of my friends, including divorces, including addictions. And my heart breaks for them. And I don't have answers. But I'm with them. And as God started shaping and changing my heart and life, about a year and a half ago, he invited my wife and I into this journey where he just started saying, hey, create some space in your life, physically and spiritually and emotionally and financially, for for others and more and more. We didn't know all of what that meant, and I still don't know all of what it means, but part of what it meant is that he wanted us to get involved in this program called Safe Families, and Safe Families is amazing because it's, it's the state thing, but it partners with the church. Talk about reconciliation. That's awesome, <laughs> and basically, families that get into a crisis situation Before Child Protective Services takes kids and just turns them to the foster care system, the parent has an opportunity to choose that they would go to a safe family. And they can stay there for a short period of time where they sort of get back on their feet and get things sorted out. And we thought, wow, that's a beautiful thing. Let's try that. We felt like that's what God was calling us and inviting us into. So we said yes and, and went through the process. And within like a week, we get this phone call and says, hi, we have two girls, five and six. Will you take them? And we sat up talking one night pretty late and everything in us was, oh man, I don't know, this is a big deal, and two, and we only wanted one, and we've already got three, remember, eight, six, and five, and these are five and six, so now we're eight, six, six, five, five. So <laughs> this, is a, this is a thing. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we said, you know, God invited us, he reconciled us to himself, and he's invited us to be ministers of reconciliation, and he said, create space, and he's led us through this process, and we're going to say Yes. So back beginning in November, we said yes to these two girls and to this family, and it was supposed to be about three weeks, and it's turned into, they're still with us, which is two months, and they'll be with us through at least the end of January. And here's what I can tell you, it's, it's been incredibly difficult. It's been really hard. There's been moments of beauty where you get to see the best of your kids, you get to see the best of these two little girls, they're spectacular, they're spectacular, You see the image of God so clearly in their life. Genesis comes alive when you get around kids, right? And it does. It doesn't matter the circumstances or the situations or the ages. It's just beautiful. And it's been hard because it's exhausting and tiring. But I can tell you the most exhausting and difficult thing isn't the circumstances with these girls. It's the condition of my own heart still. Because I still fight my own judgment and legalism I still fight the fact um, that I see them just slightly differently than the way I see my kids. So I'm a little more protective about my kids, I'm a little different, and God's helping heal that in me. Because I'll lay my head on the pillow at night and he'll say, Hey Kyle, you know those those kids, those are my kids. And you get to reconcile them back and you get to show them who I am. I'm using you just for this season. To give them a little glimpse about what reconciliation and Jesus back to me, their creator, might look like in their life. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't know what their story holds, I don't know how it's going to unfold. But I know that God is using all of this to change and shape them, and it's changing and shaping me in the midst of it. How do you view God? How do you view others? Have you been reconciled? And are you taking seriously your calling of reconciliation to the world? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me just for one second? We're gonna take some time just to reflect. God is absolutely speaking to our hearts and lives. We always believe, he always is. So what about you today? How do you regard Christ? What's your view? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariner's Church Mission Viejo Campus. For more information about Mariner's, visit www.marinerschurch.org.